0: Hello and welcome back to the edition. It's 2024. Fresh new start, fresh new podcast episodes coming up for you this year. I'm very, very excited about it. We're going to start with one of my favorite guests. Um, it's Mark Stenberg from Adweek. How are you, Mark? Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year, Charlotte. I'm doing very well. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm I'm great. I'm delighted to be starting off the year with you, not least because we did this last year. It's going to become a tradition now that where you make some predictions for me. We actually did it in December 2022, but it doesn't matter. We're going to return to our predictions for this year, but we're going to start actually with a little bit of breaking news because we're recording this on the 2nd of January. And we've learned just before we hit record that the president of the messenger, Richard Beckman, is leaving the company. uh, He says, citing health reasons. I won't link to the entire quote he gives, but... um, He said, "I wanted, as we start the year, I wanted to share with you what I had announced to my colleagues back on January 31st I'll be leaving the messenger. Back in November, I had advised Jimmy Finkelstein of my decision to step down based on short-term health issues I endured this past year and will be subsequently retiring from the corporate world at the end of this month. So health issues are the reason he's giving. So obviously, we wish him the best and hope those health issues are overcome. But it does lead us to talk about the future of the messenger, which if people don't know, it's a general news website that started last year. It was quite serious people involved in it. Um, I don't really understand what it is, Mark. Do you understand what it is, Mark?
1: (laughs) Uh, I mean, yeah, I so I, I spent a fair bit of time with Richard and with some of the other kind of architects of the publication at its launch and prior to its launch. And I wrote a story about a partnership they'd signed with an AI firm uh, a few months ago called Seeker, I think it was. Um, so I have looked under the hood a little bit into the company. And I, like a lot of other media analysts and just sort of pundits in the space, I've been a little bit perplexed as to like why they thought that this would be a great concept for this moment in time. It's essentially a general interest news publisher that has a sort of playbook pulled from like a decade ago in in many regards, and they had these incredibly ambitious uh plans for themselves there's something like 100 million dollars in revenue they were going to hire 500 journalists they were going to do 100 million i think in page views all within the first year and they were sort of lampooned for those starry-eyed ambitions and coming up on a year i think it'll be a year in march or something like that um it doesn't seem like they are getting anywhere close to those goals and now you have this news that richard beckman is stepping down he was I don't think technically listed as a co-founder but he was certainly uh one of the the principal figures in the organization he has decades of experience behind him some of it controversial uh but he is uh, a noted uh business development guru and him stepping down from the company uh for health reasons for health reasons and other unspecified reasons, who knows? Uh, But it it does certainly raise a little bit of intrigue as to how things are going uh, inside the company.
0: Yeah, I I should also say at the end of his statement, he says, as for me, my wife and I purchased last year a home in England, and at the end of 2024, we'll be returning there permanently, where I plan to continue with some advisory and board work. So he's coming to join me here in England. Um, (laughs) It does strike me... A slightly odd that they chose to launch the Huffington Post in 2023.
1: Yeah, the, the the models were based on a lot of like, we're going to get to 100 million uh, m- monthly readers through aggregating news stories and creating really clickbaity headlines. And they kind of were doing these, these editorial and distribution strategies that were really social related, that were really search related and not... They did break, to their credit, I think, some 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 good original reporting, specifically in the realm of politics. Mm. Um, they've had some some good scoops there. But I think for the most part, it's been a lot of taking reporting that somebody else has produced, trimming it and repackaging it and then publishing that and just doing that at such high volume that they would theoretically get to 100 million people or yeah. so. But that strategy is kind of gone by the wayside. Um, and any readers that it would attract you would assume don't have a high level of engagement, which is, you know, sort of the primary KPI that most advertisers are looking for today, rather than a scale play. That's sort of a, a bygone notion at this point. So yeah, it didn't seem like they were, uh, it was one of those things where it's like the people leading the company certainly had a lot of experience. So you either think, well, they know something that I don't or <laughs> they're making an incredibly kind of crazy decision. Uh, that uh, doesn't make any sense. So yeah, maybe uh, it's one of those.
0: Uh, and I say that not being disparaging about the Huffington Post, which I think does some great work. My point really was the Huffington Post was an established brand mm-hmm. and could establish itself at a, as a brand at the time that its business model worked. You, mm-hmm. I find it hard to see how you release something, create something like that now. Yeah. That was really my point, because we all know that niches, niche sites, niche newsletters, all that kind of thing is really what is paying off for most people. Yeah. Anyway, there are some great journalists at The Messenger, so we'll see what happens, particularly as we head into election season. But we're going to do some predictions. Uh, This is mainly because I want to see if you and I were right last year. We did a show last year uh, and we talked about a return to the pivot to video. Now, do we think that happened last year in 2023? There was certainly a lot of video content, wasn't there?
1: Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So if we're going over past a uh, prediction, I'm uh, going to hold you know, accountable. Just slightly. disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. No. So I think. Um. I think yes, that that prediction certainly does hold up. I mean, it was a pretty obvious play to make, and I think the pivot to video kind of comes in a lot of different iterations. I think. Uh, Sort of contra to my prediction, you have like the dissolution of of Condé Nast Entertainment, which was like the video arm of Condé, which to me sort of encapsulated this really concrete effort of like here's a digital media publisher with all these great brand titles it's going to try and take that charm and that brand prestige that it has and graft it onto the video world and use that to really sort of supercharge its business so the fact that cne has kind of come apart or has been sort of restructured um, is a bit of a blow symbolically at least Mm -hmm. to that thesis but i think on a macro scale Everybody's moving to vertical video. Everybody's moving to CTV. You talk to any publisher; they're talking about producing more video to tap into those higher CPMS. Um, it absolutely is is a, a a trend that swept through the industry. And depending on what publisher you're talking about, it sort of manifested differently. But I think I could I could confidently say that that uh, is is a trend that continues to be a big. Play. Okay,
0: you're feeling good about that one. You're feeling good about feeling that good. One.
1: Good about
0: uh, that and I think you make some good points. Obviously, I mean, they spent a huge money, Conde Nast, on that entertainment branch. But anyway, we could do a whole show on that in and of itself. Um, Have you got any thoughts on what we're going to look forward to in the next 12 months, Mark?
1: Yeah. So did we talk about AI this time last year? I can't remember. I'm had sure that, like,
0: we dared to mention yet? it. I had peaked. Around... I'm sure we dared to mention it
1: yeah so i would be remiss i think that i do have a few predictions i think the primary ones we could all really guess at right like ai is going to continue to be a headline subject throughout the rest of the year however i do think that this will be the year of kind of the i think the the cat's out of the bag the flash has already happened now it's more bureaucracy deal making lawsuits licensing the you know it it's less sexy but a little bit more like getting down to the nitty-gritty of how this yeah. sort of technology actually ends up manifesting so maybe a little bit less sensational but uh potentially a little bit more impactful uh this year
0: yeah um, i put in a prediction in newsletter where i did predictions i put in a prediction for ai and i think there is going to be an ai backlash mm. i think Both consumers and creators are going to get slightly fed up. Look, the genie is out the bottle, right? AI is not going away. There's going to be stuff in the media made by AI tools. It's done. But I think I've talked about this before, but I think uh, creators are going to really get fed up of their work and stuff being used for free. We're already seeing that a bit with uh, authors, aren't we? So mm-hmm. I, I think that is going to be a pushback from that side. And I think consumers as well are going to get fed up with reading generic robot-created content. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, think we th-
1: see that. Well, I think to your first point, it's really interesting. Um, I, I wrote a story about how publishers are kind of having to, like, play four different games of chess at a time as they're, as they're dealing with all the potential ways in which the AI situation could settle. So I think in one instance, you have some of them signing deals, like you've got um, Axel Springer. And of course, I think uh, the AP who have some version of a licensing deal with like an AI company. And then you have others like the times, which I think was just reported in the last week or so that it's suing uh, yeah, Open it's AI and Microsoft for, right. So, and then you have others, like I know the the, the Dow Jones and wall street journal are, sort of on one hand, having conversations with OpenAI about licensing deals, and then on the other hand, participating potentially in some of these lawsuits to, you know, stimmy some of those efforts. So they're sort of playing both hands at once um, in many ways. And that's why I think things are going to get so complicated here, uh, because you have publishers basically trying to hedge all potential outcomes by sort of going along every potential route. Um, So I think there'll be a lot of backlash yep at the same time as there's also sort of precautious uh involvement um and take up you know because nobody wants to be the one company left out that's um, it and at the same time you know nobody wants to to buy in and then be made a fool of for that so
0: hello web3 yes um (laughs) Uh, I think you're absolutely right that no one wants to feel like they missed the boat, because I think people really feel like they missed the boat in some cases in social media, uh, particularly regu- in regulatory terms. So I think no one mm-hmm. wants to be in that position. But we've seen some pretty terrible examples of AI being used, um, and it's going to take a lot of work for like that content to get better. So we'll yeah. see about that. Now, you said you had um, a sports uh, yeah, prediction. so I I, I sort of,
1: I broke it down into like, I have a few predictions, and then I have two just like kind of questions, uh, or maybe storylines to follow. Um, and the, the sports media uh, falls into the storylines to follow category that I that I created here. But you essentially have like a number of different factors that are really reshaping the sports business uh and as a result the media and the channels of media that cover it. Uh and so I think you this is kind of indicated a little bit by I believe it was front office sports mm-hmm. getting uh an investment from I think Redbird Capital. Um and I know I've spoken with with Adam at that company. They plan to Use that money to really bulk up the business in a variety of ways. I know Puck, a, a favorite of ours, I think, recently yes. just signed uh, a new sports media columnist. Yeah, that was a huge deal. Yeah.
0: That was a huge deal.
1: I think another factor that I've been following is what will the influx of sports betting capital do to the media space, particularly in the U.S., where – State by state, sports gambling has been legalized. I think now in 32 different states, Texas and California, it's still not legal. Those are two of the biggest states, uh, is from a population, revenue, mm-hmm. and sports perspective. Uh, so as those states continue to be legalized, how does sports betting affect the media industry on a commercial basis? But also, you have interesting questions over the ethics and the legality, yeah. and like how how you cover. A team if you're also able to bet on it or something like that it's so Um,
0: it's so fascinating watching sports betting develop in america while sitting here in the uk because (laughs) it's obviously a huge deal here in the uk and you can watch football matches here in the uk and basically every advert during halftime is a sports is a betting advert mm -hmm. Uh, and then you'll cut back to the game and at least one of the teams probably both will be sponsored in some way by a betting company yeah. Um and actually there's a bit of pushback happening I think and I think some of that is starting to get reduced because it's been so prominent and really taken over um yeah. with all the consequences of that. Now, I'm not anti-gambling at all. I occasionally put tiny tiny bets on sport myself, but you know, when we're talking serious money, not the piddly little th- bets I put on, that has consequences for people in their lives and journalistically you're right it's a fascinating thought that you know, you could be a sports reporter covering in depth a team which and learn of a major injury, say, before that is made public. And you could bet, say, on that team to lose because you think they'll lose on the basis of having that injury. And that would happen before anyone knew the information publicly.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it becomes kind of the insider trading of the sports world. Right. Um. And I think you have the other element here that goes a little bit beyond my purview, slightly from like strict publishers and and news businesses into the streaming platforms themselves and the ongoing shift that we're seeing there Mm -hmm. as television goes from, uh, you know, linear to digital. uh, And you have very few media properties that are kind of anchoring people in the linear world, but sports have proven to be... Perhaps the the primary one, I think it was like 82 or 88 of the top 100 most viewed television programs over the last year were live sport events. I mean, it's just like yeah. absolute domination. So you have the sports leagues themselves with this insane leverage and bargaining chip of we are indisputably the most popular form of entertainment that people consume on television. And yet they're historic partners for those distribution, the distribution partners the Disneys of the world, the Foxes of the world, whatever, no longer really being able to have the money to continue to afford those programs. And so that opens the door for some of these more affluent tech companies, the Apples and the Amazons of the world, to come in. And maybe we see a bit of a changing of the guard in terms of who owns the rights to distribute sports media. And then how does that change? Who gets to cover it and how it gets covered? And so I just think there's going to be some real tectonic plates shifting this yeah. year in that space and, and how it all shakes out will be fascinating. Uh, well,
0: one of, I, I agree with you entirely. I mean, there's a very strong argument that one of the only thing that keeps people with a cable bundle in the EU is sport coverage. Uh, yeah. You've led me nicely to one of my predictions as well, which is I think Apple TV plus will buy more sports rights. The most obvious mm. thing is that we've got the NBA rights coming up, haven't we? Mm-hmm. And It sounds to me from the stuff I've listened to. I heard Lucas Shaw uh, from Bluebird talking to uh, Peter Peter Kafka, who's moving on from Recode. And they were talking about how it's likely that the NBA rights are going to be sliced off a bit. You know, TNT will probably keep some of them, which is Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, and But, you know, that they have. But it's likely some of the games will be sliced off to a streamer. And I can see Apple probably Mm. fancying having a go at that because it's done pretty well with the MLB and MLS. Um, there's also possibly they want to get into formula one. I can see basketball before the thing with Apple, that's always the thing. And we always, I always mention this when we talk about it is that they really insist on having it the same, basically globally. Mm. And that obviously is something that's a bit difficult for the leagues to navigate. Because they think they can get more money by spreading it out across different broadcasters around the world.
1: Mm. That's but, an interesting point.
0: Yeah, but I, I think Apple might get stuck into that at some point in the new year. Um, here's one I want to throw at you. And I'm not sure mm-hmm. you'll agree with me, but let's actually there's a couple I want to throw at you. First of all, I think some of the streamers are gonna merge. I mm. don't think we're gonna have this great rebundling. But I think we might see at least a couple coming together. We've obviously seen Warner Brothers discovering Paramount, apparently talking last year. There was apparently some very expensive dinners happening. Um, uh, look, Netflix isn't merging with anyone anytime soon, but some of those mid-tier streamers might have to do that. Do you think?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think 2024 could be a big year for consolidation across the board in the streaming space, certainly. Um, I mean, you and I have read up and and talked a little bit about some of the factors governing that potential consolidation. It definitely does seem like everyone's trying to level up really to compare with Netflix. Um, But you have, I think, a lot of financial and commercial hindrances to that uh, in terms of like some of these companies are just so over leveraged with debt that the idea of another merger acquisition is just a pretty unappetizing prospect from a financial perspective. But at the same time, It seems like there's maybe no other uh, way to scale up and and incredibly compete with some of these Netflixes. Uh, And I think actually that segues nicely into one of my predictions, which is, you know, essentially the same thing, but for the digital media space. I think we're going to see more consolidation there as the open web kind of continues to Dwindle, and I think readership and distribution continues to, you know go from a stream to a trickle that more places are going to lock arms to keep their audience size of, you know of a scale that's still interesting to advertisers. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the the challenging economic climate combines with uh, the increased need to to remain competitive from a skill perspective. Uh, and forces a lot of digital media consolidation. So there could be a macro theme for the years coming together.
0: Yeah, and I think what we saw happening with kind of Jezebel and that space sort of gives you a hint that you're probably going to be right about that in some form.
1: Yeah, I'd like to see it. Well, I, I, I shouldn't say I'd like to see it, but just from like a sort of juicy news perspective, I mean, I'd like to see some some heavyweight consolidation, I think Ooh. could be on the uh on the agenda for the year um and i have some some potential candidates in mind Ooh, but i don't want to
0: are you going to share them go on go <laughs> on go on it's the first show um, the year. let's start with them yeah
1: well, i mean i think the obvious one i've written about this a little bit um is a vox media and a pinsky media tie-up um obviously pinsky invested 100 million dollars in vox i think about a year ago maybe last february um So they're already sort of in bed together to a degree. And I think you have those two being really complementary digital properties, um, sort of two of the last major digital media behemoths. I mean, there are a few others out there, but um, I think that you could see those two companies coming together in a pretty logical way. And if Vox's finances look anything like its digital media peers, Uh, then they might be looking for, uh, you know, someone to come buy them out. Uh, So I I think that is on my bingo card for this year is is potentially some sort of business between those two.
0: Interesting. Um, It's kind of a bit of an offshoot of this. And this may just be me sort of manifesting and what I want to happen as opposed to what will happen. But I think there is a very conceivable way that – Blogging, as you and I kind of knew it, mm. comes back in some form. I think that people have started to realize the value of owning their own stuff and not just giving it all away to platforms who can change it and do with it and tweak the algorithm wherever they want. Not everyone wants to be on camera, but lots of people like creating. I I think there is a world in which... That happens. For, am I going mad? Am I just being too optimistic?
1: Mm. I mean, it, what do you mean by blogging? Uh,
0: well, I think that traditional posting stuff, quick fire stuff on a website, some of it will be solo creator stuff. Some of it will be the kind of vibe that the Verge are doing, you know, where they're just putting quicker, more short form articles up, responding to events of the day. That mm. more traditional style of blogging that we knew some years ago.
1: Potentially, yeah. You could you could kind of go either way about that. I'm. Uh, I I feel like so. I think of when I think of blogging, I think of and I'm, I'm going to pick on like Geo Media a little bit here. Huh. Um, but I think the the portfolio that Geo's put together is kind of a collection of once beloved blogs. What, um, what do you th-
0: just remind people what you're talking about here?
1: Sure. so they sold off Jezebel, uh, but Jezebel yep. was a part of that. Um what else do they have deadspin av club jalopnik the root uh to name a few they have courts but that was an acquisition rather than but courts i think kind of qualifies as well as a, a Yeah, although they always had a more
0: paywall model
1: yeah they're, they're a little bit of the, the stepchild there but um and i think you could just look at that company and kind of see how it's selling for parts and and kind of going along at an unsteady clip and, and extrapolate from that, that the business of blogging is not one that is very stable at the moment. But I do, I do take your point that I think ironically, as the media ecosystem becomes a, a drier, barren, less hospitable place that will reduce the number of potentially viable publishers in the space Um, and as a result that could lead to the remaining publishers the ones who do kind of survive to have a little bit more of uh, hegemony over readership than has been the case over the last decade where there's just such a plurality of different sites to visit and so much content that you kind of couldn't turn left or right on the internet without hitting a think piece I think as we go from a sort of uh, an ecosystem of abundance to one of scarcity that might lead more readers to redevelop these habits of I'm going to go to my favorite website and I'm going to see what yeah. their take on the matter is or whatever the case is. So there's maybe like a scarcity based argument for uh, a blogging resurgence. And there's, I think Substack still has proven the point that like voicey writers with dedicated fan bases can continue to cash in on that. And that there is like a high degree of loyalty there, but I think one of the predominant trends in the industry is you need to be bringing your readers really valuable. You need to be of incredible value to them. That can be through bringing them information that helps them do their job or live their life better. Or it can be maybe they have a passion or whatever it is. And you're kind of servicing uh, that enthusiasm for them. But I think the idea of kind of just spitting out random thoughts and having those generate anything meaningful for you as a business, I think that the, the days of that are behind us to a large degree. Yes, I would I,
0: say. I agree with that. I'm thinking more of the first of all that point about voicey writing is absolutely right, um, and needing personality, but also having your own home on the internet. That even mm. look we saw over the holiday period. I'm not going to get into it now, but there was a whole row about Substack, wasn't there? We've seen yeah. twist, you know, all the rows about Twitter, which I just want to, I do want to finish the show on. Um, so I think people are starting to realise the value of having something that is your own is important. I think the value p I think you're right that people get back in the habits of checking out websites that they want to go to instead of being bombarded with stuff. And I can see a world in which some individual writer blogs, make sure you come to the edition.net and the bigger, what we think of as websites now will become homes on the internet because they're going to put more. It's about those publishers and writers putting value on it and making them worthwhile of people's time and maybe money. And that's where I think we (laughs) might go. Um, Let's finish on Twitter because it was one of the biggest stories of 2023 um, my thoughts is in 2024, uh, I think Elon Musk is going to sell Twitter. I think he's mm. going to get bored of it. I think he's broken it. I think he's had his fun and now he's going to get toss it away like a spoiled child with a toy. Uh, I'm also, even if he doesn't, because he may not want to because of you know, the US presidential election and all of that, uh, I think Linda Yakarino is not going to make it to the end of the year.
1: Mm. <laughs> Linda um that is an interesting proposition i feel like to to that's Mark's way. Vi-
0: That's Mark's polite way of saying you're talking rubbish charlotte please continue
1: <laughs> no i think it's it's not an original comparison at this point but when i think of elon musk and everybody's um efforts to try and demystify what he is up to or what his end game is i just keep into endo- i end up thinking about donald trump and, and people trying to you know read between the lines of his actions and try to divine out his ultimate strategy and i think the guy just wakes up every morning and rolls dice and does what they tell him um
0: particularly with twitter uh, with elon uh, musk it's not how he yeah. it's not he doesn't approach it the same way he approaches tesla and spacex and
1: things well i i it's not to say that that's not his approach for management in general i don't know i mean I, I'm not an Elon Musk, uh, you know, specialist, so I don't want to dive into his his personal ticks. But his his run at Twitter has just been a series of short sighted decisions stacked on top of each other. So I don't have any sense of what he wants to do with it ultimately. The question of like whether he could even sell it presupposes that there will be somebody who wants to buy it. Right. I mean, I think that he's absolutely sort of trashed its value. I mean, theoretically, it could still sell for some some, some small sum of cash. But, you know, the, the cachet that made it appealing in the first place has largely disappeared. The business is in a worse place than it was when he bought it. I mean, the only potential buyer I could think of would be a similarly egomaniacal billionaire or a private equity firm that's willing to just juice the thing until it's a husk. Um, yeah. A husk, a, a musk husk. A uh, musk. So it's, yeah, I, I don't see any really positive outcome for it. I think my, I got almost a little bit upset last year. Every other week, there was a new now Twitter is dead article. <laughs> it was oh just come like- on,
0: I wrote those months ago. Please. Come on, people. <laughs> it was come. it was
1: like, let's stop beating the drum here. It's I think my unglorious, like boring prediction for Twitter is that it will just continue to slowly decline in irrelevance. And I don't think Musk is going to give it up or sell it or turn its fate around. I think it will just chug along into the swamp and become a place where trolls frequent and eventually just lose any cultural clout that it formerly had but i don't think as a company it's going to shut down i just mm-hmm. i'd be uh, musk is just he would be admitting defeat in doing that and i feel like that's the only thing that is not on the table for him is mm-hmm. is uh maybe. admitting that he was wrong
0: maybe yeah it will be very interesting to see any other thoughts you want to share before we sign off anything you're working on you want to flag up
1: Ooh, I do have a good story that I'm working on, but I unfortunately can't share anything about it uh, on the record, but I could tell you about it off the record. Okay, um, well, I'm going to shut
0: off the mics now and hear <laughs> all of Mark's gossip. Uh, where can they find you and your work for when that story and your other work is published?
1: Yeah, you can find me on Adweek. Uh, I'm their senior media reporter, and I also have a personal newsletter called Media Uh So you can find that on Substack, and you can find me on x occasionally but most often now i guess i would just say linkedin follow me there Good.
0: um i'm at charlotte a henry across most of social media or if in doubt at charlotte a henry i think that's on tiktok um obviously head over to theaddition.net for the blogging you can sign up to the newsletter there as well or just head straight to newsletter.theaddition.net because there's lots of exciting stuff to happen in the new year Mark, thanks so much for joining me to kick off 2024 on the podcast. And listeners, I'll look forward to speaking to you next week.